and welcome to Cat's Cradle, the show within a show besides Sword of Symphonies, where we talk about a heroic chord, and we talk about me, Cat, and we talk about the behind the scenes of game design and show making. I'm your host, King Cat, and I shouldn't be here, but I am. All of us are here this time, actually. I'm Kathleen, and I am taking the reins to do my own intro. <gasps> my reins! I'm Nick. I'm also taking the reins because Kat is sick today. My reins! Where'd my reins go? I guess I'll take a turn, too. It's me, Kirsten. I might refer to myself as Penelope because apparently I interchange all the time, but it's me. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I would rather have Kirsten's input than Penelope's input. I'm not sure that I'm ready for <laughs> Penelope to break the fourth wall yet. They, they both make pretty bad choices. I was just going to say, what, maybe, maybe Kirsten is slight. The only reason Kirsten might have slightly better um, answers is because Kirsten isn't physically capable of doing the things Penelope can do. <laughs> yeah. Look, if I were given the opportunity to mess with reality and comment on it to somebody who could change my reality, I'm not sure I would be ready for that responsibility. No, that's very... I remember one time Daffy Duck did that. Yeah. Yeah, that got very strange, but it was a very, very good cartoon. It was a good cartoon. I love old school Daffy. He's my favorite Looney Tune. So we are here today to discuss, uh, for lack of a better term, patch notes. Patch notes! We have been playtesting the game, <laughs> and we have been doing some things that aren't in the rules and changing the rules, and Kat's been at work behind the scenes thinking like, well, what does Kat want the game to look like? What do I want it to look like? And the answer is cuter with more aminals in it. Nice. Yeah. Which uh, you have actually done. <laughs> so tell us then, Kat, about the changes to the classes and specifically the changes to pools for your buddies, such as adorable cloud elks. Yes. So in the original rules of Heroic Court, there are NPC pools, which are pools you can choose to put your memory points into. And you spend those memory points on abilities from your buddy. So a good example of this would be Binny, or if Penelope were to take the second season ability, Battle Elk, it would also be a pool for Pollyanna. However, and here's a spoiler for later in the episode, we're not going to have memory points anymore. Don't worry, we're still going to have memory time. We're, we're never losing memory time. I love memory time. But that's actually being replaced with an assist pool. And the thing I'm most excited about about assist pools is that every class gets one to start with by default. So it's no longer a cool thing that you maybe can do if you take the right abilities, or if you play a campaign that never gets past season one, it's not something only the Arcanist gets. Everybody starts with an assist pool. Friends for everyone. Mm-hmm. So when we fully enact the new rules, Penelope is just going to be able to use Pollyanna's abilities. Woohoo! I'll get, have, like, access to some Battle Elk stuff. And also the ability to steal food from higher-up places. <laughs> yes. Yes. So the format of an assist pool, it is, instead of being a pool for memory points, it's a pool for scatter. And you have five scatter in this pool. You can spend it on 
cords with the spell pieces that come with the assist pool. You can spend it on certain abilities. For example, Crusaders will get the Fallen as an assist pool. All Crusaders are now low-key necromancers. That's a change that's happening. Ghost buddies. They can become high-key necromancers in season three, but low-key necromancers until then. But essentially the idea, I guess, if I understand this correctly, comes out of the idea that all of your magic stuff is about your connection to the world around you. And as part of your pilgrimage, as part of your place in the world, certain rangers are likely to have specific ties with, like in the case of cavaliers, or excuse me, in the case of crusaders, they have a lot of ties to death and people who have died against the swarm, people uh, to their ancestry, to um, the sort of hereafter. And even the horrors themselves are ghosts of long gone combat. Right. So both the crusaders and their opponents are kind of among the dead, which is, I really like the fallen. It's part of why it was the first one that I completed of the new assist pools because I just, I enjoy it a lot. It's good old fashioned ne necromancies. And one thing I realized, you guys were present when I realized this, because we were all together in Portland when I was staring at my notes and I started swearing at myself because I realized I'd made a lot of work for myself. <laughs> That's literally exactly what Kat did, was like... <laughs> we're sitting at the breakfast table and I'm at my notes. Was that pancakes day or was that bacon and eggs day? That was bacon and eggs day because oh. we were okay. all sharing breakfast together and I had my notes out and I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's my process. <laughs> but I realized that like, I was trying to figure out a way to fix the familiar Damon because familiar Damon is A, a little bit OP and B, way more interesting than the other first level options for Arcanists and C, kind of the only NPC pool that's available to somebody whose campaign only lasts one season. It's all sealed off for everybody else. And I was like, oh, that kind of, that's a bummer. And D is really cool. It is really cool. And uh, yeah, that's the assist pool that the Arcanist is going to get. Minnie's not going anywhere. Fear not. Okay. So we may as well talk at this point about memory points. Mm -hmm. I'm ditching them. Fare thee well, memory points. Do you know why I'm ditching them? It's our fault. We didn't use them enough. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and like when you're running a play test and none of your characters use a mechanic, you got to think maybe this shouldn't be here. Maybe this should be replaced with something more interesting. <laughs> In general, I found party actions to be kind of tricky to use. Like I tried to use Aether Tie a couple of times and then it ended up not being useful to me in the circumstance. But like in terms of combat stuff, it kind of ended up being that an arpeggio was something that I did if I couldn't think of anything else to do. Speaking of which, I'm reworking arpeggios. Yeah. In essence, I guess, like, what is going to happen to those mechanics? Some of them are going to be subsumed into assist pools. Mm -hmm. Some things that I really want a character class to be able to do are going to be shifted over to assist pool. Mm-hmm. For example, the Fallen assist pool for the Crusaders has the ability Ghostly Shield at first level, which enables you to increase the difficulty to hit you or an ally of your choice. The flavor this time is that there's like a ghost defending you, but this is something that Crusaders could do with arpeggios before. Mm -hmm. 
And this is something I want them to continue to be able to do. Arpeggios have been reworked. So basically, you are adding your spell pieces onto somebody's attack. Okay. Kind of like the Forest Whisper party action that Cavaliers had. Pine Needle, but yes. Yeah, Pine Needle. Pardon. Exactly. So basically, you get to go fridge poetry with somebody's attack, and you get to basically pass this phrase around, adding words to it until someone decides to use it. What would that look like when it? So when it's cast, it can have as many like as far as it's passed down. Then, similar to arpeggios, where you could just keep passing it along, you could pass it on like several times until someone's like, "Okay, now I'm ready to use it," kind of thing. Yeah. So, for example, let's say the party is in a combat right now. Clara's there, probably. And Clara starts an arpeggio by adding striking. So she tosses striking to Penelope. And the idea is just that it's going to give a little more damage on this attack. Okay. Penelope can then either take it or add her own word and pass it on. So I could add arrow, right? Yeah. Okay. Or you could add heart and you could pass to Cobb heart striking. Oh, and it could make it like a very accurate shot maybe or something. Right. And maybe Cobb could add a word and pass it to Tissa or just use heart striking on his attack. Huh. So when someone adds a word, do they kind of have to declare kind of how they see that word interacting with it? Or is that decided by the final person? That's going to be decided by the person who's adding the word and passing the arpeggio and the GM. That's going to be a collaborative thing like magic. Okay. Because, of course, it's all very abstract. Mm -hmm. But I thought arpeggios should be along the same system as magic to make them easier to understand. Yeah, that makes sense. Are they going to cost resources to do? Or is it just sort of like the fact that you are taking like the sort of action economy penalty enough for that? They're still party actions, which means you can do them in addition to your own action. Okay. And it's, it is going to cost a scatter. I, I really like that. That's a neat way to kind of combine the arpeggios into the magic skill set. And I think that that was somewhere that I had been playing the game wrong, that I thought of a party action as one of like your D&D style full actions. The, the way it works is that there's an action and a party action, but... Admittedly, I'm not sure I was always clear on that. So that's mm -hmm. something I have to adjust going into the manual. Mm -hmm. The last thing that I am ditching is survival pools. And why are you ditching survival pools, Kat? Because I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Asked and answered. <laughs> there you go. It was tiresome and kind of a burden as a GM to come up with these lists of them, make sure I had enough to really challenge you guys. I was not enjoying implementing survival pools as a game master. Too much bookkeeping? Yeah, too much bookkeeping. And it always just kind of felt like busy work. Like it was a side thing that didn't really have anything to do with the story I was trying to tell. Mm -hmm. Survival pools are being formally replaced by discovery rules. And we've been playing with discovery rules for a little bit now. Discovery is really cool. I like it. Yeah, we had a proto-discovery role, in fact, at the end of Penelope's arc. Yes. You also had one midway through yours. This is true. So we have a little bit of familiarity with discovery roles. Obviously, this is still something that you're playtesting, but uh, expand on how one should be thinking about that mechanically. Discovery roles are going to be something that 
a GM asks for when they're looking to slow the pace. Mm. Like as a GM, sometimes the players will be rushing towards something and discovery roles are a way to get them to take in what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should go over how discovery works. Yes. I really like it. So let's, let's everyone at home know. Yeah. As long as a character isn't already doing something. Like, say, Cobb, Tiss, and Penelope are tracking someone. Tiss is rolling tracking rolls. Tiss is busy. Cobb and Penelope, however, can roll discovery. And what you do is you just pick one of your facets and roll it. And your GM will have some difficulties in mind, but usually it's just one, maybe two. You can roll understanding to discover something relevant, adaptability to discover something useful, daring to discover something dangerous, Subtlety to discover something fleeting and sensitivity to discover something wonderful. And the idea is that this is a way for players to interact with the world around them, to slow their pace a little bit and appreciate the scene and to tell the GM what kind of scene they're looking for. Mm. While the party's on the road, like I want, a scene of just some natural beauty. I'm going to roll sensitivity to signal to my GM that I'm looking for something wonderful. Describe a beautiful scene to me. Maybe I'm really into this story. I'm going to roll understanding as my way of saying, whatever we discover on this journey, I want it to be tied into the story you're weaving. Maybe I'm just real suspicious and I want to roll daring so that I can discover something dangerous before it gets me. So most of the time that we've had discovery roles so far in the playtest, they've been you, the GM, asking us all for discovery roles. Is this something that a player can just freely do as well? Yes. The idea is that if they're not already in the middle of doing anything, they can announce to the GM, I'd like to make a discovery role. Okay. I'd like to roll adaptability and discover something useful. Okay. So let's say, like, Cobb is rowing the boat to shore Penelope could be like, oh, I want to do a discovery role for, you know, understanding. And then I could get some more information about, you know, whatever the story is for why we're, we're heading to that island or something like that. Right. An example of something relevant is when Tissa found that old boundary marker with the image of the dragon on it at the end of Penelope's arc. Oh, yeah. That was something relevant to the story at hand. That cued you guys into talking about the origins of the Golden Dragon Festival mm-hmm. because it was a small thing. It wasn't something that the plot hinged on, but it was a sign of what exactly was going on. Meantime, I think it was Cobb who had ruled adaptability. Uh, yes, Cobb ruled adaptability. I believe he found lunch. He found lunch. Yeah. Exactly. Which, hey, I will absolutely take that. Because all of my favorite scenes in sort of symphonies, not only as a GM, but as I listen to this podcast all the time, are scenes where everybody's just kind of hanging out and enjoying each other's company, maybe enjoying a snack. Like, it's got a real cozy vibe that I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. I appreciate moments like that. Like, one of my favorite moments in a D&D campaign that I loved was when we decided we were just going to have a picnic on a beach. And I mean, that went very, very badly. We found a Hydra and tried to murder us. But up to that point, we were just like, no, we're having a good time. Right. Yeah, I I like that too. And it's like ways to kind of explore 
like as 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 I've listened to it, it's fun to like. Oh, you're you're getting more like in depth uh, knowledge of the characters. But and as a player, it's fun in that like you can kind of broaden your character a bit in that you can you know things that aren't necessarily on your character sheet, but you can kind of you know explore your character a bit. Yeah. Things that trigger conversations, like conversation starters between the players. Because that's something that I always love, is just quiet moments of conversation between characters. Mm -hmm. There are fun little things that spark good conversation, a good role play from the group. Just, yeah. just here, find the, have this thing and like go and do your stuff. Although I, I, I will say, uh, we skipped over, I think, my favorite of the discoveries, which is subtlety. I mentioned discover it. something. Did you? Yeah. I mean, it was in the list. I didn't go into it, but. Yeah, you discover something fleeting. Yeah. Yeah. That's not as much about provoking a moment for the party as it is provoking a moment for your character. One of the examples I give in the doc is a glimpse of a rare bird at the instant that you startle it out of a nearby tree. If you're moving subtly through the world, you're going to get a chance to observe things that you wouldn't otherwise. Maybe you get to see an animal up much closer than you expected. And so this is kind of a not really something you can share with the group by default. So something fleeting is a way of saying, hey, I'd like a just kind of a little, maybe just a little Cobb moment right now. Mm. Cobb spots a deer nearby and they exchange knowing looks. <laughs> And then the deer fucks off because here's Penelope's big dumb feet tromping through the floor. Why am I using, why am I using anyone sure. in this party as an example? Okay, so the dirt bags. <laughs> yeah, like, this, this party is very bad at finding fleeting moments. There, the yeah, there is not subtlety in this in the sort of symphonies party. There's not at all. Miller, Miller has a lot of middle rules, rules subtlety. Mm -hmm. Maybe Miller sees just like a really shiny snake sunning itself. And it's just like, eh, man, I could stand to sun myself. This is great. <laughs> life is cool. Because like life is cool. And I think, I mean, I'm kind of straddling the line in Heroic Chord consciously between old school adventure games, which I love very, very much, and modern story games. And so... Every so often I'll look at a mechanic and I'll be like, oh, that's way too gamey. Maybe I should make something more sceney. Right. I was frustrated with the gaminess of survival pools and Discovery just lets the players take the initiative and have a scene. Have a chill scene. Yeah. Though speaking of more gamey things, this is an opportunity for me to segue into what is a little bit gamey but also very character-focused, a new sort of facet to character creation and character maintenance. Let's talk about our new favorite mechanic, which I just blanked on the name of. Are you thinking of keys? I'm thinking about keys. You're thinking about keys? Keys are good. <laughs> keys are good. Keys are pretty good. Keys are really fun. I'm looking forward to trying them out. One thing that I really love about our choice to do patch notes with this episode is that moving forward, we can do keys. I'm so excited to try these with you guys. So what are keys then for our listeners? You use them to get into your apartment. Well, yes. <laughs> because Eli won't let you in. He can't. He can't. He's got his stupid little claws and he can't reach the door. 
This is true. Right. Key is a list of five kind of driving emotions that your character has. Whenever you're doing something based on that emotion, you get two extra dice and you get to kind of tick it off. And when you tick all of them off, you get a scatter refresh and you get to use your signature spell pieces. Then at the end of the arc, everything resets back to normal. By the way, you get signature spell pieces. You get signature spell pieces now. Yes. So the example I have in front of me is our engineer, Clara Gaius Ascendant. Her key is courage, curiosity, confidence, admiration, and duty. And her signature pieces are the words grand and machine. And these are all things that the player decides for themselves. Yes. I don't have a list of anything for y'all to choose from. You're just going to choose five things that drive your character. And so the idea behind a key is, like you said, they're kind of a little bit of a role-playing guide, I guess? Yeah. If you're not sure how to navigate your character through your scene, here are some things that are motivating you. And there is kind of a gamey mechanic to reward you for playing to your character. Right. And it also gives you an opportunity for a great big moment. If you're having your arc and you're ticking off the things that matter to your character, you get a full scatter refresh and you get to use your big signature spell. For big dramatic finish. Exactly. Like, this is a way to build up to big character moments within gameplay and within mechanics. So actually, let's dial down a little bit on the signature spell piece. How precisely do they function? So um, the example that I gave in the manual is Clara is trying to climb a cliff because she sees an automaton in it. Clara, as you know, is not good at athletics. However, she can tick off her curiosity key because that's what's driving her to climb this cliff and get two extra dice. If she had already ticked off courage, confidence, admiration, and duty, then all of her scatter would be wiped clean and she would have access to the pieces grand and machine. And she could use those as either terrain or personal spell pieces in any combination with the spell pieces around her or her own. So does that kind of let you cast a single person court a little bit? A little bit. For example, Clara could decide to activate the automaton by casting the spell Advancing Machine, using her own advancing spell piece and machine from signature piece. And by the way, the signature pieces also are completely player driven. So come up with something cool. Yeah, come up with something cool. Laser goose. Yeah, laser goose. <laughs> laser goose. They they don't have to form like a little saying or a phrase or anything like that. It's whatever you want, but I mean, yeah, yeah something like laser goose might be a little a little out there. <laughs> I like them to form a phrase, but that's me. That's my aesthetics. I just really like the idea of being able to cast the spell Grand Machine, Mm -hmm. which is very Clara. That is. Penelope's signature spell pieces are supporting Earth. They don't have to be cast together, but they both kind of work together as well. And so obviously a lot of us are taking the same kind of, well, you have a bunch of adjectives and a bunch of nouns as your character pieces, and everyone seems to be choosing like an adjective and a noun, but it doesn't have to be that way. You could choose adverbs if you really wanted to. You absolutely could. I wouldn't stop you. 
that being said, like a fully, if what, let, let's say I've got Penelope's key in front of me. Penelope sets off her entire key. She could cast Earth Arrow and make a huge arrow out of rocks. Which she probably would. Oh, that's awesome. Which would be a very Kirsten playing Penelope thing to do. <laughs> it would be. That would be a very Kirsten playing Penelope thing to do. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Listeners at home, tick off every time I use the word arrow, you're, you're going to, your, your sheet will be filled. Like Declare a drinking game with your friends. <laughs> Just get them plastered. <sighs> So, like, my goal with Key was to um, fill the void that was left by taking out memory points because all memory points were used for assisting allies. So I wanted to fill that with with something that was in that mechanical slash role play space. And so it does go a little bit more personal, but it really does, I think, I'm hoping anyway, push you toward role playing. Yeah. And I think one thing that I've put in the rules that I hope play, bears out is like try to make these things, at least a couple of them, about how your character relates to others. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if Clara was following an order given to her by Marcus, she can tick off admiration. She looks up to Marcus. Or she could tick off duty because Clara does her job. Mm-hmm. And these are ways she interacts with others. Penelope has loyalty and nurturing in her key. So she could also tick off something if Marcus asks her to do something because of loyalty, I guess. Right, yeah. right. If she wants two extra dice because it's a hard thing to do to be loyal, maybe Marcus asked her very, very nicely not to steal any food. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. She's going to need two extra dice for that role. <laughs> it's real hard, but she wants, she, she wants to, to listen to Marcus because... She's loyal to Marcus and wants, you know, but also ste- not stealing food is, is hard. It's, it's tricky. It's not easy for Penelope to do. It is not. So I'm really excited to see where Key goes. My hope is that it's going to really encourage players to think about how their characters interact with the world. And it's going to give us some big moments. And that's, that's really what I want is just big hero moments. Love Big hero time. Well, that's one of the things that I like about Overscatter, which a couple of classes get as their season one ability, is that it's like definitionally a big like sacrificial hero moment. Yeah. Usually they get it in uh, season one or two. I know that Crusaders get it at season one because self-sacrifice is a very Crusader thing. And then Magus is season one because like it's a kind of like tough, enduring kind of thing. Right. Also a kind of mystical thing. Yeah. Cavaliers get it second season, which is pretty normal. I think everybody gets it eventually, but yeah, the ones that it really fits get it early. Let's see. What else is in my notes? I wrote abilities, and I spelled that wrong. Mm-hmm. Tell us and about abilities. Ability, abilidi. The infuriating thing about my notes is that I'm a good speller, so when I write ablities, which is spelled A-B-L-I-T-Y-S, um, <laughs> I did it on purpose, and I can't for the life of me figure out why I, oh yeah, because I've been sick. <laughs> but <laughs> I've been sick and I can't be trusted. Does that make Penelope a singer in a band, though? What? Obladi, obladi. Oh, no? life goes on is what you're saying. Yes. Oh, 
Think I'm too sick for that. That's Look, fine. I know that you're sick, Kat, but life does go on. <clears throat> la, 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 la. Life goes on. I can't be trusted. But what did you change about abilities? I think I just added a lot. I think, I don't know why I wrote that. I think, yeah, it's because that you've been wrapping up like late season advancement recently. Yes, which I didn't really have in place, partially because it was a lot of work. Partially because I think I was aware of the fact that I'd be changing a lot of mechanics and there was no point in building, like, mm. building season five abilities on uh, foundations that I wasn't sure about yet. So I guess then my one question uh, is, is season five then the last season? Is that going to be the sort of stopping place for Heroic Chord for now? The way I've always envisioned it is if you continue a character past season five, you just double back and you get more abilities from previous seasons. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh. So you just fill out your list that way if you really want to continue past season five. Season five is potentially a lot of time with a character. It is, yeah. Depending on how many people are in your party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like that is supposed to be the natural end of, for instance, a campaign. We have yeah. three people and we're finished up the arcs, season one arcs now. How many sessions did that? 30, is this the 30 sessions we've had? Mm -hmm. We play for shorter than a lot of RPG groups do, where it's like mm -hmm. an entire evenings thing. Rather than yeah. like a, um, we're trying to make a product that gets in under an hour. But yeah. even so, that's a lot of time to get through a season. And potentially, like, you don't have to run arcs as long as we do. Like, essentially, depending on how you run it, I could imagine, like, a character arc could be, like, effectively a one-shot focused on a character instead. That's true. Yeah. As long as they learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. Penelope. <laughs> Look, Penelope will learn plenty of lessons, but not stealing food and not putting food in your pockets will never be a lesson that she will learn. <laughs> because I could totally imagine running Heroic Chord as more of an ongoing story where like every other week we have a character focused one shot essentially and we go back to the main plot otherwise. It is a very good system for one shots, and so I'm I'm ve I'm very curious to see how with all this new stuff, like how one shots work. You know, how will the system work if we say, okay, everybody's season five, like your characters are crazy. I myself am personally not a super big fan of starting characters way at the end of you know the advancement paths, just because it's usually a giant pain to make them. But I know some people really do like that. They're just like, look, I want all the cool stuff now, so I'm just gonna do it now. That could be an interesting way to do like a one or two shot is just to be like, hey, how does a high level character play? Because I haven't come into contact with a playing a higher level character yet. I've always started, which I actually, it's fun to play high level, but it is, does feel like, how do I put this? It's almost like you're like proud of the fact that your character can do this because you feel like, well, you, you grew into it kind of thing, right? When you mm -hmm. have a, right. a character that you leveled organically, but it could be neat to play a high level character just to see how it goes. And the thing is, that's exactly why I changed NPC pools, because I realized that not everybody is going to have a campaign, make it all the way to last level, and not everybody is going to start at season five. 
So like there's an entire mechanic that only a couple classes were using because functionally like the later stuff is great if you get there, but isn't a given. And I wanted the interesting stuff to be a given for everybody. Also, we didn't discuss we we didn't discuss consequences. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we forgot all about the consequences. Look, look, there's no consequence to using your assist pool. Use it all the time. Use all of it. Your actions have consequences. It's no consequences. None. <laughs> Look, I want to be consequence free. Okay, so we mentioned that assist pools used a scatter mechanic. As we know, when you run out of your normal scatter, you pass out, you go unconscious because you have effectively mixed yourself with the world around you so well that you are completely diluted out of your body. Yeah. So essentially, the idea is that there are consequences to overscattering in your assist pool. They're not as, well, I don't know, they're still pretty dramatic and interesting. They're just not, you don't get to play the character for the rest of the day. Yeah, they're not unconsciousness. But for example, the crusader's assist pool is the fallen. They can ghosts. If a crusader scatters too much into ghosts... The dead are waiting for them, and they themselves are among the dead, and they essentially become extremely depressed. And according to the manual, they are flooded by the realization that it's all over now. So basically, they cannot engage in combat. They're not really capable of taking a lot of initiative, and their senses go dim. Because the line between them and the dead has become too blurry. The cavalier has their cloud elk friend, and if they overscatter into this pool... The line between them and an animal gets too blurry, and they can't use human speech anymore. Only elk noises. They're an animal. So, no human speech, no talking, no writing, no sign language. No sign language. And I'm still kind of working on these for the other classes, but one that I'd like to experiment with with the Arcanist is that, like a noble demon, they gain an obsession. Mm. Um, the one for the Magus is, like, Obsessive perfectionism. Oh, okay. They can't make adaptability rolls or take edge successes is the mechanical effect. But basically the certainty of the stars, because that's the assist pool for the Magus is the stars has taken off their rough edges. They have to be perfect and they have to be clear. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge that the Magus is going to face. I am really looking forward to Tissa being paralyzed by that. That seems like that's going to be fun to role play. <laughs> that seems like Tissa would have a problem with that. Yep. So it's, I, a lot of this is still in progress, but I'm really looking forward to testing it. Me too. There's a lot of like neat things coming down the pipe that'll be interesting to try out how it will play out with our characters. Yeah. And you guys can definitely look forward to Key becoming an active part of Sword of Symphonies. And more discovery rolls. Yay. Mm -hmm. I just like them. <laughs> they are, I, I really like them too. They, mm -hmm. the couple that we have were a lot of fun. Uh, one cozy. question that I would have, say I am not on the podcast, but I want to know when I get to play with all this stuff. When do you think that we're going to see version beta two of a sort of symphonies or of a heroic chord up? Version the next one. Yeah. Version the next one. Well, I'm in the process of writing version the next one right now. 
And as soon as I've got it written, then I'm going to do kind of what I did with the edition that we've got, which is to say, I'm going to do a layout myself. I'm going to put that together. But once I've got this one together and we've tested a little bit more, it's going to start being time to look for a proper edition. Ooh. Which means it's about time for me to start uh, commissioning illustrators. <laughs> and... Uh, I've already kind of reached out to some people that I know about uh, editing and layout and what have you. So, Well, maybe that'll be something for us to talk about next time on Cat's Cradle. Hmm. Right. Right. I should definitely be able to have this next edition completed by our anniversary. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. If not, I don't know. You can't fight me. I'm from the past. <laughs> if you're listening to this and our podcast is a year old and the new edition is up, what are you going to do about it? They're going to go read the new edition, obviously. Well, but if it's not up. Well, if it's not up, then then we'll edit this part out. Maybe. Nobody's... Maybe I'm capricious that way. It's absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> but my goal is for a proper edition to be in the works by our anniversary, which means the current edition rules are already online and functional. And we're working toward an actual manual. Which is really exciting. Yeah. How'd this happen, you ask? I got sick, and when I'm sick, I get impulsive. Don't worry about it. I'm still is sick. impulsivity one of cats key, uh, in Cat's Key? Yes. What would Sick Cat's um, spell pieces be? Um, sick Cat's signature spell is everything spinning. Mm. Good. Fair enough. <laughs> totally what Sick Cat has activated all of the keys. Get it? Get it? Because it's like a key is just like a collection of like a bunch of notes mm -hmm. that you uh -huh. hit. Yeah. Get it? Kathleen got it. Ka Kathleen is here to get it. Guys, I basically wrote this game for Kathleen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad Nick and Kirsten appreciate it, but you're not my target audience. <laughs> <laughs> glad that you guys are playtesting with me. Thank you for the input that you've given me that's enabled me to get to this edition and for your interest in this edition. You guys are the best playtesters. Don't, well, don't tell my other group. Your secret is safe with us for now. Is my secret safe with you, listener? If my secret's not safe with you, then you owe it to me to let me know. Either <laughs> <laughs> using <laughs> the web form on sortofsymphonies.com or on Twitter at PeachGardenRPGs. Send all your blackmail there. It'll be fine. <laughs> if you plan on ratting me out to my other parties, you should at least tell me. You have to make your, uh, your intentions known, listeners. <laughs> yeah. And until next time, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have a good night. <laughs>